With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I have Maureen Callahan on the phone with me, author of American Predator, the hunt for the most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century. Maureen, are you just in general fascinated by true crime stories or what drew you to this topic? Well, I've always been really, really interested in true crime. But this case in particular, the moment I stumbled across it, I knew it was so different than anything I'd ever encountered. And as it turned out, it was a completely different suspect than anything or anyone the FBI's top criminal minds had ever encountered. And I just thought going into it, there were going to be multiple, multiple mysteries that would reveal themselves. And in fact, I could not have predicted what I would have discovered. Yeah. You say you, when you stumbled on it, what? how did that happen? Like, how do you just stumble on a story like this? Because I had never heard of Israel Keys. Most people haven't. I was just at work, online, rooting around for ideas, for something else to write about, and this story just popped up. And I got to the second paragraph, and I just thought, oh, my God, I want to write about this. So Israel Keys, let's give people some background of this story. He was living in Alaska at the time that he was, I mean, he wasn't arrested in Alaska, I don't think. He was arrested in Texas originally, right? Correct. Yeah, but he was living in Alaska, and you take it from there. So he was living in Alaska, and he was otherwise unknown to law enforcement. But in February 2012, an 18-year-old girl in Anchorage went missing from the coffee shop. Well, she worked in the coffee kiosk, a shack. They're very common in Anchorage. And she had disappeared early one evening, and the cops thought maybe she was just a runaway or she had been fighting with her boyfriend and had staged a disappearance to just get some attention. And weeks went by and the community was just completely up in arms and angry and alarmed. And the FBI got involved and they put a tracker on her ATM card. That card began pinging in the lower 48 over a month later. Right. And they arrested Israel Keys ultimately in connection with that. When they got him in custody, they knew he was somehow responsible for Samantha, but he then basically said to them, I am two different people and no one who knows me or who has ever known me knows anything about me really. And I have a lot more stories to tell. Yeah. And even the picture, like he sent a photo, acted like he was kidnapping Samantha for a ransom when actually she was not even living in the photo. She was just a body. You know, this ransom photo, which was how they figured out, okay, let's track the ATM card, was so unsettling because he had her facing the camera. He was wearing makeup. Her hair was braided. Yeah. He had used a newspaper that was dated two weeks after her disappearance, so they considered it a proof-of-life photo. But only one investigator on the team thought she was dead, even though her eyes were open. And so the FBI brought in an expert in snuff films to examine the photo and even he couldn't tell. He's later told them he kept her body uh, in his shed in Alaska for weeks. Right. He didn't have to do anything because it's so cold oh, in Alaska. Right. He knew it would be preserved. And he had 
sewed her eyes open with fishing wire. Yeah. So you've said this book is one that the FBI doesn't want you to read. Why do you say that? Well, it's interesting, again, because initially the FBI, they were very cooperative with this book, and I had access to all the special agents on the case, and I spoke to them in depth regularly for about a year and a half. But I discovered several things that I think caused the Bureau to back off, one of which was the interrogation of Keith, who was really one of the most high-value suspects in federal custody in recent history, was compromised from the get-go because the federal prosecutor in the case decided he wanted to be the lead investigator, which was a huge conflict of interest, to put it mildly, and could have really jeopardized the case down the road. They subsequently possibly botched getting further confessions out of Keith because he had killed all over the United States, had no victim profile, which made him really super rare. Like, he's the 1% of the 1% of serial killers. So they needed more bodies out of him. He wanted the death penalty super fast, and they were not able to get that for him. He told them, I'm going to kill myself in prison, and they didn't really take that seriously. And finally, at a certain point, this case went within the Bureau from serial murder to terrorism. And the FBI had never made that public, and they've never explained why. Right. I would think that Israel knew he would be murdered in prison. (laughs) I mean, I I get it. He wanted to, to die. But usually when people find out about killers like this, especially if there are younger victims involved, which the the woman, Samantha, was 18. And who knows if he didn't kill some younger that you indicate in the book, maybe there were some children that because there were some children missing in areas where he had been cases that were never solved. So usually those kind of prisoners don't fare well in the prison system, right? Right. I mean, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. He had told the investigators, one thing I won't do is mess with kids. Once my daughter was born, something shifted in me. And I found that like a remarkably self-serving statement. Mm-hmm. You know, look at me. I'm a serial killer with a conscience. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, he, yeah. he was borrowing from all these serial killers, real and fictional, Dexter among them. And there were two little girls who went missing from an area he was living in for quite some time when he was a teenager. I believe that those people cases should be reopened. I think that he's very likely responsible for those murders, and I explore those in the book. But as to whether he would have ultimately been killed in prison, I have to say he was such a lethal weapon. This guy almost escaped in federal court because he took a a piece of cellophane that the prison had wrapped his sandwich in, and he, he somehow jimmied open his leg chain and used the cellophane to make it look like they were still latched together, locked together, and he exploded in federal court one day, despite being surrounded by U.S. Marshals, and nearly made it out the door. So he was even terrifying these FBI agents. They were never in a room with him unarmed. I don't know that he would have been killed in prison. Yeah. Yeah. When you were doing research, did you see videotape of him? There is some videotape available of him. It's online. The FBI has posted some of those interrogations. Others, they have never made the video public. And in fact, I had to, I discovered another thing they were hiding was 13 hours of interviews with Keith that they had never documented anywhere. So I wound up fighting for over a year. I spent $30,000 of my own money suing the federal prosecutor's office in order to shake those 
loose and I got them, but I only got the audio. So the mm. video of those has yet to be made public. Yeah. I just kind of wondered if it was scary just seeing him. Like, was there something about being in his presence that was... Well, the, his affect is very... I mean, he could, be, he could have been talking about the weather. Right. Except right. when he gets into the details of his crime. Yeah. And, and then he gets know, excited. Samantha, when yeah. he gets excited, and he, he has almost a sexual response yeah. to it. And that, in particular, really, the special agents interviewing him found incredibly disturbing. But the book also contains that initial confession to Samantha, which the Bureau has also never made public and has obscured from view. And I was, an anonymous source provided it to me. And that interrogation, that gives you, and that gives the agents and it gives the readers the first glimpse into just how diabolical and how unprecedented this guy is and how much there is to learn from him. Yeah. And he was interested in other serial killers. And there were books that you mentioned in your book that he cared about, that he read. And do you ever worry that writing about somebody like this will inspire someone else out there? Well, it's funny, I was talking to one of the agents on this case a couple of months ago, and he said, you know, and, and he was one of the biggest participants in the book, and he was he's a brilliant, brilliant guy and a really great guy, but he said, you know, an unfortunate byproduct of this book is that the bad guys are going to read it, too. Right. And I knew that because one of the other people I spoke to for the book was the great, legendary, criminal, behavioral profiler, Roy Hazelwood, who has right. since sadly passed away. But he wrote a landmark book called Dark Dreams. One of the ones which, that which, Israel which, read, right? One of the ones that Keyes read, yes, yeah. absolutely. And and other have read as well. And he took one of these serial killers' ideas and said he had planned to implement it. And it basically was a, a killer had described to Hazelwood his plan to one night in the pitch black set up on the side of a road, a dark, lonely country road with his rifle, wait for a woman driving alone to come by, shoot out a tire, just wait until the car inevitably came to a crawl and stop and then abduct that woman. Right. I'll tell you, after reading the book, I think I have like three chapters left to go. It does make you so aware that things happen so randomly. Like in his case, he was just making decisions based on location or where he was at a specific time when somebody was up at that hour or, you know, it was just like, it's such a random thing that you're living life and there are people out there driving around. They're not not all like Israel, but that are just waiting for an opportunity. It was just a scary kind of reality about how some of those were so random to me. It's terrifying. I mean, one of the mysteries I explore in the book is an unsolved case known as the Boca Killer case. And and Keith looks pretty good for that as well. And those were abductions that were taking place at a mall in a very upscale neighborhood in broad daylight, mothers and little kids. Yeah. And even though, as I say at the outset of the book, serial murder is incredibly rare and a killer like Keyes is even more rare. Keyes said to the investigators, you know, I'm not the only one who's figured this out. Mm. And that really sent a chill through the room yeah. because he, they had also asked him, you know, who is your favorite serial killer? And he said to them, the one who hasn't been caught yet. He was basically telling them, there's one behind me who's even better, even smarter, and you guys have no idea who or where he is. Yeah. And we'll never know how many people Israel killed. 
Israel Keys? We will probably never know how many he killed, but there is a very good chance, I think, of identifying and locating more victims. The FBI certainly thought so. That was why they agreed to participate in this book from the outset. Right. There are certain cases that, I again, I explore in the book with the hope that readers will also uh, – take interest and that local law enforcement around the country might seek to reopen some of these cases, which I think some could absolutely be linked to him. We do have his DNA on profile. So, I mean, uh, you know, that makes all the difference. uh, Yeah. Maureen, thanks for taking a few minutes with Baltimore this morning. I really appreciate it. And thanks for writing the book. Oh, my goodness. My pleasure. Thank you so much. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.